The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. And today I have Cliff Courtney, who's joining me. He is the president and CEO of Courtney 180. And we just recently met at the latest CEO Summit. Welcome, Cliff. Thank you. Great to be here, Seema. It's always a pleasure to meet new people that kind of are a bit like-minded. And I felt that way when we spoke. And I loved your presentation that you did for us at the summit. It was about saying goodbye to the comfort zone. Yes, uh, thank you. I tried to rock the room a little bit because people do get a little too comfortable with their habits. And given the compression and competition these days, every industry, you've got to really uh, be braver than ever to break through. For sure. And listen, I'd love to just get an idea of kind of your background and how you got to this point in your career. My pleasure. And I'll keep it short. My background is essentially marketing driven which is more important than ever, because as I said at the conference, I feel like today there are no more products or services, just the marketing that decommoditizes or differentiates them. So I think marketing is a great background for all companies, uh, specifically for me, mostly strategy, chief strategy officer roles in Omnicom agencies, and then chief marketing roles in Omnicom agencies. So I had a great purview for uh, go-to-market plans and how to execute them and sell them. When you think about your marketing roles, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced? Well, mostly, you know, how to decommoditize the commoditized brand. So you're selling a burger. How do you make it special from all the other burgers? You're selling a TV, a flat panel TV. They're all basically the same LG and Samsung. How do you differentiate? Right. Those are really the biggest challenges. Of course, the other challenges are most every brand, except possibly for four, are challenger brands. They're going head to head against companies with bigger budgets, greater footprints, more impact. And so you really got to be cagey, got to be sort of smart with how you optimize your media and messaging to win these days. Very tough. It is tough. And I feel like the role of a CMO has really changed and evolved over the years as well. And and it's probably be a good segue into some of the one of the topics we're going to talk about. When I think about CMOs many years ago, it felt like it was more on the creative side and coming up with the brand messaging and positioning. And it seems to have then integrated with technology, which then integrated with data and the whole sphere of influence of a CMO just expanded. It has, but I think it's as it's expanded, I think the view from typical CMOs chairs has gotten a little too narrow. In other words, they talk about performance marketing as if it's a thing, not everything, meaning... Right. You know, they think about data as the be all end all, and that's performance marketing. But that presumes that you don't care how your billboard performs, for instance, or your stadium signage performs. All media's performance media should be held to a specific standard. That's one. And the other thing is, and I think we talked about this when we first met, is this illusion that the marketing funnel is a straw, not a funnel. They, they gave up on getting a lot of impressions for less to drive awareness and affinity. And instead, they're so focused on the high cost of high conversions that I think they're losing their relationships with consumers. Interesting. Yeah, you did mention that actually. 
And I love that analogy because it's so visual. And Cliff, you are a person who understands data. You've had experience with it in terms of your different roles. And I know you have some thoughts on like where you see data, quote unquote, winning and where data sometimes fails people in decision-making of sorts. Yeah, I have a very complicated relationship with <laughs> data is the truth. I think that's um, the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah, we're up and down. I <laughs> would say there's a great disconnect in the world with data. On one hand, we live in a, what I call a quantifiable world, right? Weather, yes. sports scores, speed, distance, stock market, medicine doses, altitude, whatever it is in your yeah. world, it's measured typically quantitatively, right? Right. And of course, the big companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Walmart, they're, of course, measuring and crunching lots of data. But on the right. other hand, we as consumers are complex. Mm-hmm. We are messy. Our decisions are not easily quantifiable. We make emotional purchasing decisions. Consider, Seema, when you bought your home. Yeah. You, know, you can look at price per square foot and amount of yeah. bedrooms and acreage and all sorts of the exact miles to schools for your kids. Right. But the day, if somebody doesn't walk in a house and go, oh, I love it, you know, that's it. These are emotional. And that's those are the big things. You make emotional purchasing decisions all the time. So I always go back to the Einstein quote, you know, not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. And then moreover, I think about Socrates who said, all I know is I know nothing. And I wonder what he would say today, given the petabytes and exabytes and terabytes (laughs) being crunched. What would you recommend to people who have access to all this data and using it to drive decisions, you know, as they look through the lens of what decisions they're trying to make, you know, how do you know if it's the right input, given what you just talked about, that nuance of a consumer walking into a home and saying, I need to be here? Yeah, exactly. Well, I would say two things to consider if you're dealing with data. One is understand that it's a thing, not the only thing, okay. right? And so, you know, it's been valuable for a long time. I remember when the explosion of big data happened sort of in the early 2000s, Walmart, the masters of supply chain management, yeah. just-in-time inventory, When Katrina blew through, they looked at the data, their POS data, and saw that strawberry Pop-Tarts and beer were the top two products sold after a hurricane. And so two weeks later, when Hurricane Florence was barreling towards the west coast of Florida, they had trucks barreling down the highway filled with strawberry Pop-Tarts and beer. So data clearly helped them stock their shelves and be more successful. Fine. The other thing that really happened that was big is when Target in the early 2000s was creating guest IDs based on credit card receipts and emails and secondary research. And what they saw is a guy named Poole, a data analyst named Poole at Target, looked at 25 data points from receipts and saw that, wow, we can tell when a woman is pregnant based on her purchase habits, which is buying calcium, magnesium, zinc, unscented skin lotions and stuff. But moreover, they knew from their guest IDs when a woman who's pregnant would start really buying products. And in fact, with the data, they can almost tell when her delivery date is. And so they started sending coupons proactively for cribs and those kind of things. The problem was you had a father come marching to a store one time that said, why are you sending my high school daughter um, Ah, a crib thing? The target knew she was pregnant before the dad. So anyway, that was the explosion of big data. So to answer your question, it's a thing, not the thing. The other thing I would advise people working data is don't get caught up in the great numbers don't lie fallacy because numbers lie all the time. Ask a thousand men if they cyberstalk their ex or suck in their stomach to look thinner. Or how about this? Ask a thousand workers 
Yeah. If they look at porn while they're at work, oh, they will all say no. Yet statistically, 20% of men and 30% of women do just that. So, you know, numbers lie all the time. We did a last thing I'll say in this, Seema, is okay. we did a, a research project once where we had people in a room for some focus groups. Yeah. We gave them $10 for lunch and said, you know, there's a salad place over here and a burger place over here. How many people want the salads? And they would all raise their hands for the salads. Then when they walked out the door, they all got the burgers. You know, it's <laughs> data lies. So just be so I would say data lies, understand that, and then make sure data is part of your mix, not the entire mix. Well, I guess I feel uncomfortable saying data lies. You know, there's different ways of getting the information that you need. So depending on your methodology or approach, you might not get the most honest answer depending on how controversial the topic is. Is that yes. a fair, fair yeah, way to to Totally it? fair. Totally fair. And I didn't mean to imply data lies. I meant to imply that people who say numbers don't lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lie all the time. So data has great value. So in, ter- yeah. in terms of straight up sampling, Seema, right. if I ask 10,000 people, do you prefer chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? Whatever that statistic is, it'll be pretty reliable right. for the 10,000 person sample. And so if, if I make ice cream and distribute ice cream, I'll be more successful or my, sure. my margins will be better. I'll be more effective. If I want to know from a statistical standpoint, when the brakes on my car will likely need maintenance, that can be calculated. If I'm right. traveling from Miami to Toronto, it'd be nice to know the likelihood of rain, South the departure time in my Southwest flight. Those are data can steer me in the right direction. However, data is really best when it's backwards, meaning looking backwards. Mm. So if I'm a company and I look at my past year's performance, I can tell you to a penny, my yep. revenue, my comp, my average ticket, my click-through rate, media impressions. But because of independent variables, you can't let data absolutely tell you without a doubt what's going to happen next. Now, there's such a thing as predictive analytics. Right. Predictive analytics is flawed because predictive analytics is a forecast conclusion, not a foregone conclusion. And I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. As we record this, the Super Bowl was three days ago. Mm-hmm. How many crypto ads are on this year's Super Bowl? The answer is zero. Last year, there were so many, we called it the crypto bowl. So what happened to all those companies? Because when you think about those companies, they had behind them very smart investors and VCs who poured through so much data and business case to make sure they were making a smart investment. And yet the data steered them in the wrong direction. That said, the man or woman who said, I'm not investing in that because it doesn't feel right. Right. They're, they're They're the winners. Yeah. Well, I also feel like there was a bit of a network effect too, right? Like it was almost as if, well, if that person's going to do it, I don't want to be left behind, which is horrible for me to say that. Like everybody's done research, but I remember being in situations like, oh man, you got to get into crypto. You got to get it. Right. Perfect. Perfect example. That's core to mentality, which again is very instinctive. It's not speaking to data. You know, the irony is do you remember the old thing that's set in your office called a filing cabinet? Remember those yeah, things? Yes. <laughs> so, so Walmart collects 2.5 petabytes of data every hour, okay? Yes. One petabyte, a single petabyte is equivalent to 20 million filing cabinets. And so oh the, my big, gosh. the big four, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, they have about 1,200 petabytes of data between them. Yet none of them all have all the answers. They get right. things wrong all the time. You know, we discussed that when we first met. So- Data is great. It's got great value. How you use it is really where the rubber meets the road. I agree. And I do think this notion of, because everybody, I think we've gone from, you know, taillights, which is what you understand happened in the past. Then you kind of go to 
operational business intelligence, right? Because the ability to get real-time information through internal systems, you now all of a sudden have intelligence that helps you drive your business. And the next frontier is to be able to predict accurately what the future might hold, although there's variables that you can't control. Exactly. The independent variables you can't control, which could be a big variable, like yes. there's a war in Ukraine, but you yes. can't see it coming. Or it could be a silly variable like a fad. Right. Anything can affect decisions that you just don't see coming. At our conference, Seema, I talked yes. about Sidney Frank, mm -hmm. who, when he was 55 years old, imported Jägermeister into this country right. based on all gut. And it blew up and did so well for him that when he was 79 years old, he created literally created Grey Goose, issuing all the research and all the data using yep. his gut and how he marketed. And seven years later, he sold it to Bacardi for $2 billion. There's Dyson Vacuum was done on gut. Absolute right. was done on gut. Uh, the, the Seinfeld show and plenty of successful shows were done on gut. It's, again, ultimately, data has great value, but it's got to be a piece of the puzzle, not the entire puzzle. And I think there's this balance because I think there's almost like the dumbbell effect. Either you're so data-driven, you're not going to make a decision without the data, or, listen, this is my gut. I 100% that we need to go this way. I don't even care what the data says. I believe, and I'm curious if you believe this, there's probably a healthy medium between those two where most executives sit because they can't wait for the perfect data set. I agree completely. Think about Steve Jobs with Apple. So Apple, you know, yep. most successful company on the planet in terms of market cap of $2 trillion. Yeah. He was known to look at a product prototype that was presented to him. All right. Now, the product prototype, by the way, presented to him is based on data like, wow, right. people want smaller digital devices that they can use in their hands, that they can write on. It's a tablet with a pen. The data right. all points that there's a need for this in the market. It gets put in front of Steve Jobs. He goes, no. Based on his understanding of his brand, his read of the market, his instincts, yeah. he decides ultimately no or yes. And his success rate is almost flawless. Yeah. So data is important in part of that, but at some point, a CEO has to know his customer, yeah. has to really have a feel for the market, understand when it's yes or no, and sometimes say no to the data and sometimes say yes to the data. What do you, I mean, there's so much shifting in the data ecosystem. I mean, everybody, I know I always say we've gone from, you know, being in meetings and looking in the air, wondering what the answer could be to the next phase is like drowning in data and trying to figure out how the hell to use it. And the third one, which I don't think we fully maximized, is being able to use data intelligently and drive decisions. What percentage of the people, and I think, Cliff, that's kind of where you sit and saying, look, data is one piece of the puzzle, but there's so many other inputs. How many, what do you think the population of executives can live in that world or live in that world, I should say, not can, but currently today live in that world? Well, I think as many as want to can if the people they're hiring to manage the data and interpret the data are the right people. So you've heard the expression likely, torture the data and it'll confess to anything, right? Yes. So, yeah. so clearly there's a lot of people making very good livings as data analysts these days, right. but it's really how you look at data, interpret data is the mm -hmm. key. So if I'm a CEO of a brand that's depending on a lot of data to make decisions, I don't want people reporting the data. I want people who are really intuitive yeah. Really smart, probably with more right brain than you might suspect, sure. who are reading the data and thinking about it, not just reporting it or making extrapolations based on math. I want instinct as part of that 
right. extrapolation. If you think about Moneyball, for instance, the famous baseball case, yeah. for instance, and other cases where someone just didn't look at data, they knew how to interpret what to do with it. So I would say if everyone's out there torturing data, you sort of want the best torturer in the world. <laughs> it speaks to your complicated relationship with data. Yes, my I have a very complicated <laughs> It's always helpful to talk about data and figure out where, you know, each of us as individuals are on that pendulum in terms of how we acclimate to data and, and infuse it in our thinking. Yeah, I agree. You know, this thing about data is if you use it as a lamppost, you should use it for illumination. You shouldn't just have it as something to lean against. Yeah. And I think, you know, too many companies are, listen, when you have shareholders and you have to report your earnings and you want to get it right, it's scary yeah. to trust your gut. It's scary not to have data because you can make data a complicit partner in your decisions and you know it's hard to fire the data. Mm -hmm. So I understand why it's not an easy thing to do, but that's why you need people who can really look at it and understand, wow, if we take a little bit of data and wow, maybe even something as heretical as zeitgeist, you know, we all put it in a mix, yeah. then we'll probably have a clearer picture instead of just blindly following the numbers. Because again, you can't account for the future, like I said about predictive analytics, mm -hmm. and you can't account for variables. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a combination. And I think to your question, a lot of companies can get it right with the right people. I'd say that's the key. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also the balance of, obviously, we just talked about the data, but also the credibility of the person making the decision and the need to use the data to make their case. Yeah. Uh, listen, it is absolutely the best way to make a case. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But that's scary, too, because someone could just it's not just the data they show. Think about the data they omit. Right. That doesn't tell the right story. Someone's making a decision, looking at the data sets, deciding this tells my story. I'll show this. Oops. Yeah. This one undermines my story. Maybe I won't show. I won't you know, show. That can affect yeah. the future of a company. So you really want to get people who, who read it, interpret yeah. it, understand it, and then share it without relying on it as if it's the only thing that can lead you to success because it's proven again and again, whether it's the crypto bowl right. or Andrew Poole or others, that you can get it wrong if you're not looking at the total picture. Yep. And I give credit for the people who do show the good, the bad, and the ugly and still drive towards a decision, right? I mean, it's yeah. a responsible way of portraying what they see in the data and not necessarily making it to sell in a case. Well, that's a very good point, Seema. And ironically, I literally was on a call yesterday with a senior leadership of restaurant brand. Yep. And literally what I presented, I was asked to do a full data aggregation project. And literally what I presented to your exact wording was called the good, bad, and the ugly. Because if you're really going to help a company, you can't just show the good. Right. You have to show the real thorns and say, and here's the data. And it, you know, when the call was over, I got a note from you know the CEO saying that was a true wake-up call. We have to change it. The data set told the story so clearly. As someone who sometimes decries the value of data, I'm telling you that I leveraged it yesterday to have hopefully great effect on turning a company around. But I did present it with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And I think that's the most important. It's almost like we keep talking about these AI models are subjective because the data set that's feeding into has bias towards it. And as humans, I do think it's our responsibility when we look at data is to take our bias out of it and to be able to storytell what the results say and then drive. It's almost bringing your audience along to the yeah. learning that you've had and then recommending a decision. Yeah, you're 100% correct, as you pointed that out. And truly, it's not just hard to yeah. take your subjective hat off. 
It's impossible. We're not machines. We're not objective. As I said, when we started this conversation, we make all sorts of emotional decisions. And you've heard the expression, there is no reality, only perception. So, you know, it's really hard to just be, you know, eyes wide open, don't blink, right? as it is. People bring their own biases to every conversation. Very true. And I even notice that when I take in even written content based on language. There was two emails that I got from two different people saying the same thing. And the way the words were written, I received the information so differently. Yeah, clearly. That's the human variable is the greatest variable. How we present something, how we use our voice, how we write to your point, how big we show us. We show two data points on a page, on a, a PowerPoint deck. One's large, one's small. That alone, you know, conveys so much more than the data itself. So it is all in context. What is the context in which we're presenting it? And, you know, what I keep hammering home and always talk about is the context has to be expansive and include all the variables. But yes, to your point about your two emails, context really defines the conclusions in that case. Yes, for sure. Cliff, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you having joining me today on the podcast. And I listen, I look forward to future discussions about data. I love data. It's one of my, you know, passion points. I was listening to a podcast yesterday by Sanjay Gupta. He's doing an interview with younger people about the impact of social media. And there was this psychologist who came on. She's like, based on our research and our data. And I was, I got so excited because I think there's just so much value in data. But to your point, we got to put it into context. Yeah. Well, thank you, Seema. It was really great being here with you talking about this. I look forward to future conversations. And by the way, you know, I know I'm the one with a complex relationship with data, but I just got a text from data and they, data says they love you too. So oh, I'm thank you. <laughs> That's very sweet. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Take care. All right, Seema. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.